Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Jans, the co-founder of Agency Revolution. And I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution creators of, frankly, the most powerful marketing and communication software built specifically to meet the needs of insurance agencies and brokerages. If you believe, and I'm pretty sure you do, that the relationship you have with your clients is the heart of your business, then you need to see how Agency Revolution can make those relationships stronger and longer. If you haven't done it lately, visit agencyrevolution.com to receive a free demo of their award-winning software today. So uh, from time to time, I think it's important for me to um, be perfectly clear with you why I do what I do. (laughs) Um, I don't think it takes a genius to recognize that Um, The insurance industry is changing and our space, the agency channel, the independent agency channel um, is experiencing a tremendous amount of change. And that it's uh, for those of us who care about uh, the channel and care about the success of our own enterprise, it's valuable to have some sense of which way the wind is blowing and how fast it's blowing and where the updrafts are that can lift us up, but also where the downdrafts are that we want to avoid. So I see it as my job to connect with the people who are helping to change and reshape and lead this industry into the future. And I want to, to the best of my ability, 30-ish years in this industry, to discern and dissect the information that you need to thrive in that future. And I'm not talking about generally not 20 or 10 years away, but I really do tend to focus my guests' attention on what's happening now and likely what's happening in the next two or three years so that we can navigate effectively there. Um, Today's guest is a perfect complement to this conversation. This what I consider to be my ongoing conversation with you. Uh, Because in times of change, uh, generally, we can't just manage our way through that change. We really need to lead our organizations through that change. Uh, And I'm sure I talk a little bit about that in some more detail in the interview itself. Um, And so I selected uh, somebody whose work I've admired for um, decades, Jim Kuzis. He is the co-author with Barry Posner of the award-winning and best-selling book, The Leadership Challenge, with over two and a half million copies in print. He's also the Dean's Executive Fellow of Leadership at the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara University. The book, The Leadership Challenge, was uh, released again in 2017. It's available in 22 languages. It was selected by Fast Company as one of the best business books of the year. It was on the 2013 Wall Street Journal bestseller list. It was an Amazon editor's pick in 2007. It was the winner of the Critics' Choice Award back in the mid-90s. It's been named one of the 100 best business books of all time by CEO Reed. Um, Jim and his partner, Barry, have co-authored over 30 publications, including Learning Leadership, The Truth About Leadership, A Leader's Legacy, Credibility, How Leaders Gain and Lose It, and on and on. They have developed the highly acclaimed Leadership Practices Inventory, LPI, a 360-degree leadership assessment questionnaire, it is the top-selling off-the-shelf uh, off leadership assessment instrument in the world. Jim was um, named in 2017 as one of the top 30 global gurus in leadership. He's the 2010 recipient of the Thought Leadership Award from the Instructional Systems Association. 
for four years in a row, named to HR Magazine's Most Influential uh, International Thinkers category. In 2006, he was presented with the Golden Gavel by Toastmasters International. Uh, Jim and Barry are the recipients of the American Society for Training and Development's uh, Distinguished Contribution to Workplace Learning and Performance Award. Jim uh, also served as the president, CEO, and chairman of the Tom Peters Company. Um, the Wall Street Journal cited Jim as one of the 12 best executive educators in the United States. Uh, so without much further ado, uh, one uh, very short announcement that I wanted to make. The podcast that we held um, within the last six or eight weeks with Mark Peterson uh, got an unusually high uh, listenership. And because of its popularity and because I thought that it was so rich with content, I have um, tra I transcribed the transcripts um, and analyzed them, read them, categorized them, and I plucked 13 delicious plums from that conversation uh, and identified 13 marketing tips that you can apply for your own growth. Uh, as you recall, Mark had been enjoying 30 plus percent uh, growth in his niche uh, based on certain principles that he followed. Um, and so if you are interested in getting a copy of that and you don't have one yet, visit www.13marketingtips.com. That's 13marketingtips.com. And uh, of course, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow Agency Revolution on LinkedIn. And now it is a great privilege for me to introduce you to my guest, Jim Kuzis. Jim Kuzis, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Michael, thank you very much. I'm doing very well, thanks. All right. Well, uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. Uh, to Perhaps to put this into perspective, somewhere around 30 years. So thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I'll, I will give just a little bit of background, and that kind of introduces you. Um, and this is part of my life that I'm sure most of my listeners are not aware of. Um, I um, uh, earned my graduate degree as an adult, not as a kid. <laughs> Uh, but nonetheless, it, I, it was still uh, it, a few years ago, Jim, um, and uh, and it was actually before I came into this industry. So I've been in the industry for a long time, as most people know. And uh, I was um, active in a it's a, a fairly self directed curriculum in um, the whole systems de uh, design um, department, and my area of study was organizational transformation. And under the guidance of my advisors, I developed my own curriculum. And a critical part of the curriculum was leadership. And it was around that time uh, that uh, Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner uh, published a what has become a seminal book on leadership. And it was uh, very important to me not only in my studies, but I was, at that point, I was a CEO. And so it also became very important to me as, as a leader. So my history with you goes back decades. And I thank you for the contribution you've made to my thinking and to my career. You're most gracious. Thanks, Michael. So here we are um, in, uh, well, in a very interesting time uh, in this industry. So you and I have had a little bit of an opportunity to talk about uh, my perception of some of the changes, but I, I will provide a little background for this conversation. I've been in the industry long enough to uh, recognize that uh, while we're going through really significant change right now, this is not the first time um, prior to my activity in the industry, we, we probably, we had close to 80,000 independent insurance agencies. And during the 80s and 90s, we really saw substantial consolidation. And um, that number, well, you could say the 
the, uh, we saw a considerable thinning of the herd, but we saw a lot of um, consolidation, a lot of mergers, a lot of acquisitions. And what, part of what happened, one of the things that happened was that the agencies who really stepped up their game and went from being uh, private practices or small like agents with perhaps um, a small support staff, those who were able to make that shift to really becoming business enterprises were those that thrived and also those that survived. Well, um, and, and uh, I think one of, the, um, one of the things that we saw happen, one of the contributions of that period was that agencies really, as they became businesses, agency principals became good managers and they learned how to run good businesses with lots of systems, uh, computer systems, human resource systems, and um, customer service support systems, and so on and so forth. Well, we're at, uh, we're at a different kind of crossroads right now. I um, surveyed uh, the industry, this is some years ago, so the number may have changed a little bit, but the principle is really quite the same. It was a one-question survey, and I asked... Um, are you worried that your agency is not keeping up with the outside world? And 96% of my respondents mm. said yes. And so there was the sense that the world's changing faster than the independent agency system. And so we're seeing a lot of change, a lot of turbulence, Jim. Um, new technologies, uh, billions of dollars of new technologies. In fact, about a billion dollars a month of new technology or more. Uh, changes in consumer behavior, um, and uh, well, just so many changes uh, in sort of industry infrastructure, the pace of change being very quick. And so that's why I'm excited about this conversation. I don't think we can manage our way out of uh, this much turbulence. I think what one of the things that's called upon uh, for agency principles is to find, uh, find out how to lead their agency through a time of turbulence. So that's why you're here. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Um, so let's start with some of the basics. Um, you have uh, you have a model. You just, so let's maybe perhaps talk about the research that led to the model that you and Barry have been um, well become really uh, reasonably famous for um, in uh, leadership and management circles. Uh, yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about, because I think what's unique about that is you really approached leadership from a um, really a fairly scientific perspective, gathering data and drawing conclusions from the data. Yeah, well, thank you for that question, Mike. And I think it helps put, our conversation in perspective as well with the issues that you articulated, as you said, what we're facing now is an extraordinary transformation in many ways, many, many ways. And daily we hear about some development socially, politically, technologically, economically that changes or potentially will change dramatically how we conduct business. So when Barry Posner and I got started at Santa Clara University in the early 80s, about 1982, when we uh, met and started collaborating, 83, just to, just to underscore what you're saying about change. There was no internet. There was no personal computer that was networked to other computers at the university, let alone, you know, elsewhere at home. And so now you and I are talking over uh, a virtual medium and uh, we're having a great conversation across distance of many, many miles. Uh, people will be listening to this around the globe. And, and so that just in and of itself illustrates the dramatic change that we've been through. So during that time, Barry Posner and I we're reading and hearing a lot about excellent companies. Tom Peters and Bob Waterman were in the midst of finishing up their research and would publish a book called In Search of Excellence about excellent companies. And I knew Tom and had invited him to Santa Clara University to come and speak at the executive center, which I ran at the executive <laughs> center in the business school. 
And so Barry and I began to ask ourselves a related question. So, so these guys have written about excellent companies. What about excellent leadership? What do leaders do when they are performing at their best? So we developed a methodology called the Personal Best Leadership Experience, which is a set of questions that we ask people in interviews and then ask people to respond in writing when we expanded our research to that question. What do you do when you are at your best? Tell us about your Olympic gold medal winning performance. And we uh -huh. literally wrote down on three by five cards responses once we had gotten the interviews and uh, had taken the written and spoken interviews and written down what each person said behavior by behavior and literally in Kenna Hall 107s took these three by five note cards and piled them into piles on a conference table trying to organize them into similar themes we ended up noticing that there were a number a few not a whole lot but a, a number five to seven, we estimated initially, similarities across what people did when they were operating at their best. Uh -huh. From that framework, we developed a, uh, an, an instrument to help validate that. Uh, and we discovered that there were five themes that emerged from that analysis. Now we're four million people later in our database and continue to do that. Uh, 35 years later from the time of the publication of the first uh, research that we did in our first book, uh, The Leadership Challenge, first edition. And that the model that emerged from that data was the following. The first thing that leaders do, or one of the things, is sometimes it's not necessarily first on the list, but the first practice in the model is what we call model the way. Leaders have to be clear about what their values and beliefs are, and then based on those values and beliefs, they set an example for other people that these values are important to us. Leaders also inspire a shared vision, the second of the five practices. They envision an uplifting and ennobling future, and then they enlist others in that vision, connecting their hopes and dreams to others' hopes and dreams, and talk about a shared vision of the future. The third thing that leaders have to do, and I'm going to come back to another comment about this particular finding, is that they challenge the process. If you're going to take people to a new place, a place that people have never been before, some aspirational goal that you have, then you need to do some things differently. You can't get to that new place by doing exactly what you're now doing, so you have to innovate challenge the process. You have to search for opportunities to grow and innovate and improve, and you have to then experiment with new ways of doing things. Sometimes they don't work out, so you've got to learn from the mistakes you make. The fourth thing that's required when you're making transformational change and when you're operating at your best as a leader is you have to enable others to act. You need to foster collaboration because you can't do it alone. One person can't do it by him or herself. They got to work together as a team. They got to collaborate and cooperate. And individually, you need to strengthen their capacity to do these new things. It involves uh, teaching new skills, developing new capabilities, uh, uh, acquiring new resources, making it possible for people to enact that vision of the future, both individually and collectively. And the fifth of the five practices is you have to encourage the heart. Getting to that vision of the future is hard work, is challenging. Sometimes people feel like they want to give up. You have to encourage their hearts to continue by both recognizing individuals for their contributions to living out these values and beliefs and uh, enacting them to get to that future. And also, you need to celebrate as a team, celebrate your victories. So those are the five practices in some model, inspire, challenge, enable, and encourage. So you've been uh, gathering data on that for over 30 years. And now, f as you said, 4 million people have contributed. Have you noticed um, either 
changes uh, in emphasis on one or more of those uh, five um, elements of the model, or then, or, or have you noticed that uh, at times, like times like this, there's a need for um, emphasis in one area or more um, that may be different in more um, stable times? So yes and. The okay. yes is the, the, the framework has, and we just analyzed data from 2021, uh, 2020 and 2021. So okay. we isolated just this period uh, because the pandemic threw everything into chaos. Uh, all of us around the world had an experience together. That's a rarity in doing That's research rare. on a whole planet and has a similar kind of phenomenon that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to look at just that data. And what we discovered, Michael, was that the same five practices that we uncovered in, in the mid-90s were still valid. And the more frequently you engage in those practices in 20 and 21, the more likely it is you would get positive results and people would be more engaged. Mm-hmm. The difference we found was that the, the the association between the behaviors and the outcomes is even stronger, meaning during really challenging times, one needs to step up and engage in these practices even more frequently than in uh, stable, calm times that uh, we, I guess, used to call normal. Uh, and so the context has communicated to leaders that during these challenging times, if you were doing a nine, you got to do a 10. And so okay. we've got to be more proactive as leaders in engaging in these practices in difficult times. What hasn't changed also is the fact that that the practices have remained, as we like to say, the content of leadership has remained the same, but the context has changed dramatically. And what's important about that, and I, I said when we were talking about challenge the process, I'd come back and make a comment about that, that, that challenge presents the opportunity for greatness. In our research, there was not one single story that people told us about doing their best that was associated with keeping things the same. When people do great things, <laughs> okay. okay, they don't do the same thing they were doing before. They they uh, find a way to do something new and different. So if you want, if particularly in difficult times, you want to improve, you want to grow, you want to do better than you're now doing, you must challenge the way you're currently do, doing things. Or, and the environment may do that for you, challenge the way you're currently doing things. Mm-hmm. And then you have to innovate. You have to step up and find new ways of addressing the challenge that, that has been imposed upon you. I'm going to read a quote to you. Hmm. Tell me if this sounds familiar and I'll ask for your response. Challenge is the opportunity for greatness. People do their best when there is an opportunity to change how things currently stand. Maintaining the status quo facilitates mediocrity. Those who embrace this practice do not wish to rest on their laurels. They motivate others to exceed their limits and to look for innovative ways to improve the organization. Yeah, I think I know the guys who wrote that. You, th- you may, may know the guys who wrote that. Okay. I, I think that is that from the Leadership Challenge? Is that from the book? Yes, that's, I, that's I know that's from, a quote that belongs to you. Okay. Yeah, that's from the Leadership Challenge. Uh, and so... It sounds like what you're saying is that um, today is an opportunity for people who run a team, people who lead an organization, whether they have a small staff of three to five or 20, 50, 200, or, uh, you know, there are uh, sometimes listeners to this podcast who may run an insurance company with thousands of an empl- of, of employees. And so uh, it sounds like now uh, this really is the time where people can um, well reach inside themselves, but also I think uh, you would probably agree reach inside other people um, to to find 
um, what it takes to step up to the moment because it's a little bit more of a difficult moment. The things yeah. that worked, the things that we relied on, um, not just 10 years ago, Jim, but five years ago or less, don't work with the same um, kind of results that we used to be able to count on. It was so obvious, you know, there, there are obvious examples like uh, uh, probably wasn't quite a generation ago that um, when an insurance agency principal thought about advertising or marketing, um, they'd wait for the annual visit from the Yellow Pages rep, mm-hmm. right? Okay, that's that's not the way insurance agencies generate customers anymore. And so there are a lot of there are a lot of challenges, and um, and maybe that's uh, that's kind of the, the sheer number of options that are available uh, is a challenge because. Uh, digital marketing, for example, offers an almost infinite number of options for, um, for, for lead generation and advertising and marketing. And um, not only are there an infinite number of options, and, and there's often somewhat, um, uh, unless you've done them before, they may feel strange like a new skill and a new capability, but uh, they often don't have the um, predictable results, right? So, you know, for various reasons. Um, it could be that they're overpromised by a vendor or it could be that, you know, it requires a certain level of mastery or something in between. And so um, uh, we're um, in a period where it seems like a lot of people are not quite sure what their roadmap is. Mm-hmm. How, how do, let's talk about that for a moment. I mean, I, I think I think I have a pretty strong sense in general of, you know, these are the principles and this is the roadmap that you should follow and it's a reasonable blueprint. Uh, but for the average agent who's in the field and frankly, you know, very busy and probably working on insurance a great deal of the day, um, I, I, I talk to a number of agents who approach me and they have they have doubts about their ability to keep up. They have some doubts mm-hmm. about uh, their ability to meet the challenge. They have doubts about whether or not the promises that maybe some vendors have given them, uh, you know, are really going to bear the fruit that they want. What what does an age? What does a leader do um, when when times are a little bit uncertain and and um, the blueprint is? Um, you know, you, you can't just go to the gas station and buy a map anymore. Yeah. Well, I loved it, what you what you just described. You know, just to go back to the comment about challenge. <laughs> uh, challenge provides an opportunity, literally can open the door to new ways of doing things. Sometimes we choose to challenge ourselves other times we have no choice because we are challenged, whether it's something external to the organization or internal in the organization that, that forces us to do things. In, in, in the last couple of years, we've all lived through something that was forced upon us. So you have a choice at that moment, a choice on how you're going to respond. You could put your head in the sand and hope that uh, it goes, you know, it, it, it gets over and you can come back up for air again and everything will be back to normal. Uh, you can uh, deny that it's really happening and, and, and just say it's not really going on. It's all fake. Uh, or you can say, you know, the world has changed. I wouldn't have personally made this particular change myself, but... What am I going to do to respond to it? And if you're a leader, the first thing you need to do is communicate to the people that you're working with that you have to broaden the context. There's challenge. You can't, you can't, you can't deny the reality. You have to recognize the reality and acknowledge it and say to folks, things have changed and we're going to have to change in response. We may not have chosen this situation, but here we are. You have to be positive about the context also and say, you know, think back over your own personal history. 
Think back over our organization's history. Think back over the nation's or the world's history. People have faced challenges before, right? I mean, there's been world wars, there have been other pandemics, there have been all technological changes. People, you know, when my grandmother was born, there weren't people driving cars, and then people drove cars during her lifetime. People went to the moon during her life. Lots of things have changed. We can do it too. It is possible for us. So communicating that positive framework, mindset, that we can do this, but also recognizing that we can't do it alone. We're going to have to work together to make these changes. We need each other. It's not something that I, as the leader of this organization, can do by myself. Not one person in this organization is going to do it by him or herself. We're all going to have to collaborate because we need each other's support. One of the things that's true during adverse times is support is much more required than it is in normal times. Why? Because people are feeling you know, a little lost. They don't quite, they're not quite, it's kind of like getting off a boat after you've been at sea on a boat that's been tossed about. You got to get, you've got these wobbly legs and you've got to get back to feeling the ground a bit. You know, your people are feeling that way. So we need to work together to get to a point where we can move forward. And look, nobody wanted us to just have to lock down and work from home, but that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And we need to respond. How are we gonna, how are we gonna connect with each other? How are we gonna get that sense of uh, uh, sharing with each other again? What are we gonna make happen? Well, there's a technology called Zoom, or there are other virtual technologies that will enable us to make that happen. So we have to embrace those. So as a leader, you need to communicate a positive attitude, broaden the context so people understand we've overcome challenges before, personally and organizationally. We have to communicate that we need each other to make this happen. And then we have to take initiative. We have to do something. We have to act. Because Mm -hmm. people feel best during times of change and difficulty when they make meaningful progress. Uh, if, If I'm, you know working from home, working virtually, and I'm just sitting here and nothing's happening and I can't see that something's happening, I'm going to quickly get more depressed, more down, and not feel a sense of movement moving forward. And I, I'm, I'm going to feel like, you know, we're perhaps going to lose our business if we don't. So we have to act. We have to take mm-hmm. action. We have okay. to make meaningful progress on a daily basis. My job as a leader is to make sure that people know we're making progress, communicating right. what steps we've made to move forward. Uh, and, and you know, going back to our model of, uh, of encouraging the heart, celebrating the values and victories and, and recognizing individuals, make sure that, that you let people know that they were responsible for making this meaningful progress forward and recognize individuals for contributing to that so they feel encouraged to continue. Okay. Um, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, encouraging the heart, and you talked about um, uh, clarifying uh, uh, the uh, values and beliefs. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to make a <laughs> I'm going to make an observation about the industry because I've worked with thousands of agencies over the years. Um, there there are let's say two levels of conversation that could go on. And sometimes I don't see enough of either of them, but let me describe the two levels of conversation. One is day-to-day ops, okay? Um, It's, uh, you know, it's Tuesday morning, and we're going to have, you know, our usual staff meeting and, you know, talk about um, our, uh, you know, the the operational issues. Are are we placing the insurance with the right carriers? Are we getting, you know, them to... um, accept the business that we submit and you know what what did what was the problem with such and such a client operational stuff that's not what you you've been talking about so far now i don't know that there's enough of the operational conversation going on i'm not i'm not convinced that there's enough um enough of that conversation where the team comes together and uh engages in in problem solving even at that level but Even so, that's not what you've been talking about. You're talking about a conversation of a different magnitude where um, where 
the team is engaged in a manner that, um, uh, well, in which the, in which they are uh, led, in which they are inspired, in which they are celebrated, um, in which they are uh, guided to a future that doesn't look quite like the present. Um, in my observation, that conversation doesn't go on nearly enough, and then uh, and then. I, symptoms tend to arise in the absence of that. Um, and some of those symptoms, uh, I'd be curious wh- what you've seen, but sometimes it's um, team members not being aligned. Uh, sometimes it's team members being in conflict with one another. Uh, sometimes it's team members being in sort of subtle conflict with agency leadership. Sometimes it's agency leadership being I've seen instances of this sort of suspicious of a team members' activity or their commitment. Um, and, uh, and, and so a lot of agencies seem to have a fair amount of noise on stuff that's sort of operational stuff and not a lot of um, uh, engagement and excitement and inspiration about uh, creating change as a team. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you how, um, you know, we can talk about this, but it, it's somehow it needs to be operationalized, right? Or it needs mm-hmm. to be, we, we need to, we need to take this leadership concept and bring it into day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I'll make a contrast between that, between this leadership that you're talking about creating a new future and management, which really tends to be, you know, a little more focused on maintenance and a less on less on creation. What what do you see great leaders do to engage real teams in building a new future when they have a very busy present to take care of? The when people told us about their personal best leadership experiences. There are a couple of important things that they said they did during these times that I think respond to your question. One of them is they personally needed to check in with themselves and say, okay, what do we stand for and believe in? What's really important to us? What are our values and beliefs? And are the people in this organization clear about those values and beliefs? Because if all the old signposts have been knocked down and no longer visible during this time of change, I've got to make sure as a leader in this organization, the people are clear about what's going to guide us in making our decisions and actions. What are the fundamental principles that are going to guide us? Let's just take an example. Let's say one of the principles is collaboration and teamwork and working together. Are people clear that that's one of our values or because they're out there working by themselves, uh, it, do they think it's like, you know, all for one and one for all, not, you know, the individual sort of an individual orientation. It's not all for one and one for all. It's just about me personally. So, making sure that we that i as a leader check in with myself and make sure i'm clear and then have a conversation with other people about what those values and beliefs are so the best leaders have conversation about that particularly in difficult and challenging times mm-hmm. uh, in in working with clients during this period of time that was something that we did. We actually had that conversation with executive teams and said, let's make sure that you all are operating from the same playbook here, that we're clear on the principles that are going to guide our decisions and actions. So as we look at this change and figure out how we're going to respond, we have some clear guidelines. The second thing I have to do as a leader is make sure that everyone's clear about where we're headed. I mean, if we're if I'm, I live uh, 
in Northern California and, you know, the Pacific Ocean is not too far away. So uh, this time of year in particular, if you're driving down Highway 1, <laughs> uh, heading south from where I live, uh, you might run into a bank of fog on on Highway 1. And what do we all do when there's fog on the road? We slow down, we turn the lights on, we get nervous, we grab the steering wheel really tightly, you know, and and we, we just feel really tense. Then let's say we round the bend and the fog clears and we can see a long distance because the sun is now out. Mm-hmm. What do we do? We relax, we speed up, we uh, maybe turn on the, the tunes and start to listen to some nice music. Uh, we're, we're not nervous about you know, something running into us. Well, leaders have to be the people to shine a light on the fog in difficult times so that people don't feel nervous, that we can speed up and head in a direction. One of the things that we need then to do as leader is to clarify where we're headed. What, what, what gives our work meaning and purpose? Why are we doing what we're doing? Who are we serving? Why are we important to those people? Let's have that conversation to make sure that we can make progress in meaningful work. So those are two fundamental things that all leaders must do in the beginning of a change and a challenge and come back to that periodically as as we notice that people are still feeling a bit uncertain. There's something that I think Tom Peters wrote, and I think I read it probably 30 years ago, and it's still in my mind because you know his work better than I do. Um, and essentially, I'm wildly paraphrasing. He said, um, if you want to know what's really important to a leader, to an executive, look at their calendar. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of what you're saying is that if, um, if leadership is important, if creating a new future is important, then it better show up on the calendar. Those conversations that you're talking about, the values that guide us, the vision that inspires us. Uh, the shared collaboration that enables us to work together, um, the various celebrations of the small wins and the big wins and the personal wins, those need to show up in real life Monday through Friday on the calendar. Yes. And, 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 and I think we could say, it's okay if they didn't before, but once you, once you see clearly um, what the challenges are that the industry is facing right now, that's no longer acceptable. Can't do that anymore. Exactly. You can't, you can't, you can't ignore that stuff. It's not, it's not just, uh, you know, um, it's not just solving the, the little problems of Tuesday. You want to solve the big problems of this year. And you really can't do that without those conversations. Yeah. One of the things, first of all, as a leader, you have to live those values. And so you're showing other people that you are living them yourself in your behavior. Uh, if you preach, if you just preach about the values and aren't living them yourself, modeling the be- appropriate behavior, mm-hmm. then people are going to be cynical. And you also need to do exactly <laughs> what you said, spend time and attention wisely. You need to make sure it's on your calendar. That's another way you... Uh, lead by example, is you put it on your calendar, make sure we have conversations about it. It, it shows up in the questions that you ask. You know, you ah. need to ask purposeful questions. So uh, if you uh, believe in innovation, for example, then ask questions about what have you done today to learn something new or do something differently? What ideas have you come up with today that will enable us to improve the work that we do. If you believe in teamwork and collaboration, what have you done today to partner with a colleague? So you ask intentional questions that get people to to think. And a, a question, if you take that word apart, a question sends people on quests in their minds. So if you want people to think about those values, ask great questions that get them to think 
about those values. You need to ask for feedback, like, uh, how am I doing? How are we doing? Let's mm-hmm. make sure we build an opportunity to check in with each other and make sure that we're doing what we said we would do. Uh, and you need to ask, the, to behave in ways that teach those values. So, you know, as you as you mentioned, if somebody's misaligned or somebody's doing behaving in ways that aren't consistent, you have to confront those critical incidents uh, and make sure that you uh, correct that behavior. Uh, Sometimes it, it's maybe just doing things that you used to do that now are not working and you need to correct it. Other times it might be something intentional somebody does uh, that, it may, or it may be something unintentional that someone does, but you need to draw attention to those critical incidents mm-hmm. that are teachable moments. And you need to tell stories. You need to tell stories of, uh, about what people are doing that enact those values. You know, nothing sticks better than a good story in people's minds about, you know, let me tell you about what uh, Joe did to make sure that uh, we were responded to a customer's complaint. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you that story. So the the language you use, the questions you ask, the stories you tell, the feedback you get, uh, the way in which you personally model it, putting it on your calendar. Uh, all of those are ways that reinforce that value and belief. Okay. Um, I have, I have a couple of questions, um, before we close, uh, one has to do with the leader himself or herself. Um, as you had mentioned, there, there are different ways that we can respond to all the challenge that we're facing. One is we can put our head in the sand. Uh, two is we can be uh, anxious about it and suffer anxiety. Or three is we can uh, embrace it with some sense of urgency and take action on it. And I've seen plenty of the first two. And certainly I've, I've seen some really great success stories of the third, people taking action. Um, but I don't want to imply that it's, that it's easy. Um, and, and I don't, don't want to imply that taking action always results in exactly what you're looking for, but it certainly beats putting your head in the sand or just suffering anxiety about the change. Uh, So in times of turbulence, a a leader may find themselves in a personal context of uncertainty and uh, may experience uh, doubt and may actually experience some anxiety about the way that the future looks. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious what you've seen in regards to how leaders, how they face up to difficult times themselves and how they take care of themselves when they don't always know the right answer. When I just had this conversation with someone recently who had a very difficult personal circumstance during this uh, last year mm-hmm. and we were talking about this it was a, it was a death in a family and uh, they were really feeling down and depressed and how are they going to lead others when they were feeling this way and whether it's that kind of a personal situation or just feeling like boy we're really stuck and you know we can't get supplies uh, we, we 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 you know we're we're not we're, we're not able to to respond in ways that uh, we'd like to be able to respond to our customers whatever the whatever it is that's going on in the business or in your personal life what do you do yourself mm-hmm. because as a leader you're supposed to set the example you're supposed to be positive and optimistic and about the future you're supposed to encourage people to innovate and create and do things differently and here you feel stuck the first thing i would recommend that these leaders do is exp- is start expressing their gratitude openly this may sound like a little weird at first but when you start counting your blessings it has this magical effect. If When you start expressing gratitude to other people for what they are doing during times like this, mm-hmm. 
instead of focusing inward on yourself and how bad things are, something magical happens to you in that you start feeling better. There's research on gratitude shows very clearly that the people who benefit mostly from expressing gratitude are the people who express the gratitude, even <laughs> though the people on the receiving end are the intended right. ones. Of, mm -hmm. For them, it's momentary. But for you, as, as an individual, when you make this a practice in your daily lives, all of a sudden the world starts becoming better. And so that that is one of the most important things to do. It's tough at first because in some ways, how am I going to find what to be grateful for when everything is just not going very well in my life or in our mm -hmm. life. Yeah. But it's little things, just recognizing that pr progress is being made or somebody did something really cool today or, you know, uh, gee, it, it could even be, you know, that, that cup of coffee really tasted good this morning. I'm grateful for that, that cup of joe I had. Anything that gets you into a mindset of recognizing that things ain't all that bad. I suppose it would also be a valuable time to turn to the team and express, like, if you're having some doubts, right? I mean, I, I think it's, I think, like, give me your opinion on this one. Um, uh, uh, the followers want confidence in the leader, but some vulnerability is and humanity is is really acceptable and and may make that relationship stronger not weaker yes absolutely in, in fact there's there's solid research to show that leaders who say you know I, I i really don't know the answer to that question or i'm having trouble myself or let me tell you about a time when i had this difficulty are are more likely to be considered credible than those who uh, do not own up to mistakes they've made or difficulties that they're having. It also models for other people that it's okay for them to do that too. Uh -huh. uh, and, and creates an environment in which people don't feel like they have to be perfect all the time. And that what we can do is, is one, accept help and support when we, when, when we need it, and also that we can learn from mistakes we may have made or learn from these difficult times how to do things differently. That, and so developing that learning mindset that enables us to continue. So yes, absolutely. Showing vulnerability has positive outcomes. Now, if you do that 100% of the time, <laughs> that won't work. But it, genuinely share that when in, when in fact you are having doubts or, or, mm -hmm. or you are feeling like you're not sure of what to do next. Ask others. Ask for help. Ask for support. Ask for help. Own up to it. Okay. Absolutely correct. All right. Well, that's a good segue, Jim, to my last question um, about difficult times. So as you had mentioned, as a planet, we have gone through and we are not through. A difficult time. Um, and you had indicated that you had gathered um, and analyzed some data from 2020 and 2021. What is your observation or what are your recommendations or findings about um, how the pandemic has challenged leadership and how leaders have effectively stepped up to, uh, to that challenge? What I, what I think we've learned, and we are still analyzing the data, uh, but it's very clear that exemplary leadership practices don't change when times get really tough. Exemplary leadership practices are, are, are stable over time. What changes is the context. So let's make sure that we separate context from content. Mm -hmm. How we need to behave as leaders hasn't changed all that much in a very long time. What we do know now, we, we, we are better at understanding it a bit more in depth. We know a lot more about teamwork. We know a lot more about uh, in how to inspire a shared vision. We know a lot more about how to model the way that we might have known <laughs> 50 mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. But the fundamentals of model, inspire, challenge, enable, and encourage have held up over time. Mm 
So let's make sure we don't confuse context with content. That's one thing. The other thing I would say about what we've learned during these difficult times is that, and some of this may be somewhat surprising to some, is that credibility is the foundation of leadership. It was when we first started this work, and it still is today. That the two most important things that people look for and admire in a leader is someone who is honest and someone who is competent. That's at the top of the list. Those two qualities are the two main ingredients of what communication researchers call source credibility. So if you want to maintain your ability as a leader to be effective with others, you need to be perceived by those individuals as honest and competent. You know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They believe you can get the job done and that you are telling them the truth. That you are being honest. How, that you're being how, has, how have you seen um, the, as you would call it, uh, forced remote work? How, how, have, how has that, well, challenged leaders? Uh, presumably it has. Uh, it took away, it took away a, you know, kind of the, the physical, you know, the opportunities for the sort of, you know, f physical exchange, the nonverbals that we have. How, how has that challenged leaders and, and how have leaders overcome those challenges? So, as I said earlier, that one of the things we've we've also learned is that you have to be more intentional and and more committed to engaging in these behaviors. Okay. Uh huh. So right. I talking about putting it on your calendar. So if I if I have the ability to taken away from me to run into somebody in a hallway and have a chat with that person. Maybe it's a chat to to you know, reinforce a value. Maybe it's a <clears> chat <throat> to mm -hmm. uh, help support that individual. Maybe it's a chat to help that individual respond to a particular question they have about how to work with a client. I don't have I'd have that taken away from me. I have to make sure that I find a way using technology to make that happen. Okay, got it. Uh, I right. have to I have it to schedule. So therefore. I have to schedule opportunities to chat one-on-one -on -one with people as well as attend group meetings. And, and, and that's, that, that is something that the best leaders have learned to do during these times mm -hmm. is to use the technology to make sure that they can engage in these practices oh, through the technology, uh, you know, offer encouragement that way, make sure <laughs> that you foster collaboration that way, making sure that, that uh, you are able to in, help people to understand where we're headed, the vision of the future, and making sure that you're demonstrating to others that these values are important using that technology. So it really is a matter of making sure that you are intentional about these. It, once you do that often enough, it becomes secondhand, but it, uh, it, it, like anything new, it takes a little getting used to. Okay. Um, I like the way you put it. We need to be more intentional in difficult times uh, with these practices. And no excuses. Jim, I uh, heartily recommend your book, The Leadership Challenge, to everybody who's listening to this conversation. But if, other than that, if listeners want to learn more about your work, how can they do that? Well, on our website, leadershipchallenge.com, there are pages, uh, and there's some white papers that people can download to look, for example, at uh, there's a white paper on our research and how we went about it and some of the, some of the uh, more quantitative aspects of the research that people can look at. There's some samples of our uh, assessments and things that people can look at to see how we actually approach asking the questions and getting the results that we do. Uh, there are links to our books. Uh, so that's probably the best single source. There's also okay. a newsletter people can sign up for. Uh -huh. We get monthly where people can uh, read a little bit more about one particular practice or another.
Mm-hmm. Uh, get some case examples. And there, for those who are really interested, there are abstracts of over 700 studies that have been done uh, if you really want to get down in the weeds. All right. Um, and so your website, again, is leadershipchallenge.com? Correct. All right. Very good. Jim, I have enjoyed this conversation as I knew I would. I want to thank you very much for being generous with your time and with your wisdom. Thank you so much, Michael. It's a pleasure and uh, happy holidays. Thank you. Likewise to you. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.